of all the blessings that have come, the best thing in my life is the companionship and coverage I get from very young men. It's void time. Yeah. Why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? It's void time. Yeah. We raise an alarm. Smacking down Boyd K. Packer. Uh. I'm too sexy for wickedness. Too sexy for wickedness. It never was happiness. Happiness. Too sexy or compassion. Too sexy or compassion. So-called tolerance must be wrong. We cannot be happy, nor saved, nor exalted without fighting the gay lesbian movement. Growing numbers of people now campaign to make spiritually dangerous lifestyles legal and socially acceptable. Now, in the spirit of love and sympathy, I speak to you who may be struggling against temptations for which there is no moral expression. And the simple truth is, the penis of any individual bumps up against the penis of another. Do not yield. Cultivate the spiritual strength to resist all of your life, if need be, in the spirit of love and sympathy. Keep your covenants, and you'll be safe. Break them, and you will not. not. I'm too sexy or perversion. Too sexy for that substance. It might be likened to having a little factory in your body. One designed to produce that substance that can generate life. As you move closer to manhood, this little factory will sometimes produce an oversupply of this substance. The Lord has provided a way for that to be released. You on the catwalk? Yeah, you on the catwalk? Yeah. I shake my little push on the catwalk. There are some circumstances in which young men may be tempted to handle one another. Sometimes this begins in a moment of idle foolishness when boys are just playing around. When a young man is finding his way into manhood, such experiences can misdirect his normal desires and pervert him. No one is predestined to a life of perversion. I repeat very plainly, Physical mischief with another man is forbidden. I'm too sexy for the devil. Too sexy for sympathy, compassion. Physical mischief. Penis, penis, penis. I'm too sexy for men. Too sexy for masculine, masculine manly, manly men. I'm too sexy for infants on thrones. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men. With little factory substance. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today I'm joined by Jake, Heather, and Bob to smack down a talk that Boyd K. Packer all too sexily gave back in October 1996 at a BYU devotional. The talk is called The Unwritten Order of Things. Lisa and Paul, this one's for you. Now, we recorded this conversation a week ago before President Nelson, a.k.a. Gopher from Winnie the Pooh, sent out his Enough is enough already. I can't do Gopher. Enough is enough already. People have to stop calling us Mormon. We are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, damn it. Memo. 
Right, that's the name of the memo that he sent out. Anyway, but the timing couldn't be better because it's so fitting with one of Packer's all-too-sexy main gripes that he gave in this talk back in 1996, that people in the church take these vulgar shortcuts using nicknames like Liz instead of Elizabeth or Butch instead of, I don't know, Boyd. He is rather Butch. But anyway, let's see how well this whole Mormon church don't call us Mormon thing goes. Let's see how well they do trying to change their brand away from Mormon and LDS and that they really get people calling them the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or as Tom would say, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It does have a nice ring to it and the advantage in the Twitter age is that using a name that takes up so many characters leaves less room for criticism. So maybe that's it. Good luck, Mormons. And for those of you who are listening to this on the day that it's released, which is Sunday, August 19th, tonight we are going to be holding a live recording. And we'll be doing it for the next few Sunday nights, actually. We're going to be doing this for our Patreon supporters. Um, So if you're interested, go to Patreon. There will be login information there. We're starting a series that will be a deep dive smackdown sort of book review kind of series Uh, looking very closely at a manual to create atheists by Peter Borgosian. Now, Patreon supporters, in addition to being able to sit in on these live recordings, also get advanced access to the audio clips that we'll be using for that series, because obviously we're not going to be smacking it down word for word like we do normal smackdowns. There's just clips. So they get uh, access to those clips early. They get to sit in uh, as we're recording this, and maybe even chime in if they've got something to say once or twice. We'll see how it goes. So if you've been thinking about coming over to Patreon, but you just haven't done it yet, maybe this will be a juicy enough carrot for you. I don't know. But I can tell you this. I'm speaking just for myself personally. For as much time and energy and love, and it really is love, that I put into this podcast, I sure appreciate the support. So please come and join us on Patreon. Uh, and sit in and listen to us record live and get to hear the things that uh, most people don't get to hear because we edit them out sometimes when we edit things out. Anyway, two more things, and then we'll get right into this episode. Well, kind of right into this episode, because that's the first thing. You know, this has been a bit of a long introduction, right? Well, it takes us maybe, uh, maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes, maybe even longer, to get into the meat of the discussion. You know, this is the first time that Heather and Jake and Bob and I have talked in months, so we took some time to catch up, and a lot of it I thought was interesting, so I thought, okay, I'll keep it in here for you guys to catch up with us as well. So uh, it, it, it takes a while to get in there. We talked to Jake about his Sunstone a play that he did and, and a bunch of other things like how Heather gets so much joy getting things off of the shelves for people that are not quite as tall as she is. It's it's fun. We have a, a fun conversation. And if you wait until the end, you get all the way to the end, we, we have a real treat. <laughs> Two treats, actually. One treat is uh, we, we break out our general authority voices and uh, do this lampoon spoof about how general authorities eat a Reese's peanut butter cup. The Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> I have always eaten my Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> the peanut butter cup to properly take a bite. Tears were shed. Hearts were gladdened. 
a cup was shared. And then at the very end, as an Easter egg, I have included for you the first episode of a new podcast that I'm working on called the Mythologi Podcast. Uh, it's a 10-minute story. It's a myth called Old Lady Truth. And uh, I want you to hear it. And I want you to come and support me on Mythologi if you want to hear that the way that you've supported Infants on Thrones. So, now, let's jump right into the SmackDown, right at the precise moment where Bob makes his big announcement that he is now emotionally ready to go back to church, or, or something like that. Sure, I could show up in a church building sometimes. I mean, I'm not going to pay you money or do all the things that I'm supposed to, but um, I've sort of come around to thinking like, Mormon, Mormons are cool, they're fun, I can hang out with them a lot more than I thought I would in the first phases of leaving the church. So anyway... I think that could be a fun conversation. Okay. I feel that way. I feel like Mormonism <laughs> is super cool until I go <laughs> to Utah for three weeks. It's like fucking boring. It's so boring. Like when you go to church, cause you build up all these, like I've had lots of interesting conversations with my coworkers about Mormon theology and all the, all the fascinating little aspects right. of it, but those right. aren't the cool. That's not really the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Although there's supposedly a happening scene in Utah, like ex-Mormons galore uh, that you could hang out with theoretically. That's kind of the best of both worlds. But then again, I don't know how great that scene is really. It seems like on paper, like a cool idea, but then maybe, I don't know if it's really like that. <laughs> how, how did your, what was it? A road show? How did your Sunstone thing go? Oh yeah. yeah so, so is it um, recorded? Eric uh, recorded, I mean, we just had like one camera in the back running, you know, it was, so it's like a, a, a static frame. Eric did record it. He was like, oh, I'm going to try and put something together and get it online. Like just to kind of, you know, edit it down a little bit um, and, and get it online. But I, I haven't heard anything from it. I would love to see it again. I thought, I thought it was, it was super low budget, really, yeah. really shoestring, like just bubble yeah. gum and popsicle sticks. As compared but, to like the budget we spend or that ex-Mormons <laughs> spend normally. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's not up to the lofty standards here. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a blast. There's a whole scene with, uh, um, there's a whole scene with homoerotic Jesus, which I think is. Oh, don't, don't give spoilers. <laughs> all right. Got all right. Bob on. <laughs> yeah. Bob is very <laughs> anti-spoiler. Okay. Hey, I'm, right, I right. might be changing that. Oh, oh, that's right. Spoiler alert. Spoilers oh, oh might God. be a thing of the past. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think I saw some pictures on Facebook of just like people standing up in front of like a curtain or a screen. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. So we had like the way that we had it set up was we had a little. I love that. We, we, so there was like a screen off to the, there was like a projector screen off to the side. Yeah. Um, which uh, we use we use during like the scene transitions and stuff, and then there was like a thing where it was like two like big tall posters that Eric and Dave had that they dro- drooped like a sheet over, and it was kind of like this staging area where somebody people could like do costume changes, and there was a mic back there, and Sage was the voice of God because the voice of God was God is a character in the thing. Yeah. So Sage would run behind that curtain and do the God voice stuff. That's cool. Um, yeah, it was really cool. I, I thought it was a blast. To, I haven't talked to Sage since last Sunstone. Yeah, me neither. That's forever. I yeah, I don't. I think same. I, well, I, I actually it, it had been longer since I talked to him. 
to be honest. So it was, um, it was a ton of fun to like, it was just, it was intense for like a couple of days. Cause we got flew in on like Wednesday night and then all Thursday we were just building props and doing run throughs because mm-hmm. we had never rehearsed it before. Like we just finished the script like two days before yeah, and like had finished, finalized like all the, all the music. Um, like we wrote one of the songs, like I wrote lyrics to one of the songs, like on the flight over anyway. So like Thursday we're just like running through it and building props. And then Friday we had like one more run through and then we did like a dress rehearsal and then had the whole the thing. I wish it, there was only two performances, but like I would love to do like five. Like I would, I, <laughs> like, cause, it was, cause by the second one, it was like, Oh, we were like feeling comfortable, more comfortable. Right. Five. And plus, you know, I don't know the payoff. Like we we did all that work for like two two audiences. Oh, two I thought audiences. you were like selling one tickets. Two like rounds 15. of applause. <laughs> yeah, two rounds of applause. One of which was like fifteen people because it was up head to head with Greg Prince at like eight p.m. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> whoa! And then uh, the other competition. one. Yeah. So anyway, how, how, what was the venue? How was the venue this year? So the facility itself was really cool. Um, I mean, it was just the, the, you know, Sandy Expo Center, but, you know, it's huge. And, like, it seemed to be uh, a a good accommodation. It just – but the location, like, insane – it's, like, in the the middle of, like, a – a, a cluster of business parks in a suburb of Sandy. So it's just, like, there's nothing nearby that, like, you makes you want to like stay there. It's just kind of a depressing, like suburban feel to it rather than the U of U campus. I felt like felt kind of cool. Cause like you were on you, the U of U campus. So like when you would leave like, like by sugar, is it sugar loaf? Is that the name of that place? That's right up there. Sugar Hill something. Yeah. Sugar, something. sugar, sugar, sugar. Right. It's a, I mean, I don't want to say sugar house cause that's in Salt Lake. That's right? the other place that's yeah. sugar in Utah. Yeah. So then I don't I only know the one sugar place. Yeah. I see somebody with a blue shirt. I think it's Heather. Blue, blue shirt. Blue, that that I've got a blue shirt too. That that's the uh, that's the preferred that's the color snow? for speculation. Yeah, I know that's a throwback. I was waiting. I was like, <laughs> anyone, anyone gonna take it? <laughs> Glenn got it. Yeah, I got it. So is this working? No. No, yeah. it's working. We hear you. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We see you. We, we hear don't. You. We don't have like the cool psychedelic light show in the background though. No, I moved those upstairs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Were those like Philips light bulbs? Um, yeah. Okay. Oh. They are. I missed yeah. out. Can you can no, you just I, hurry and just put it back how it was? I just want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let me take down 20 bulbs and replace them. <laughs> it is pretty cool that you can do that, right? Yeah. And you can do it. You, Heather, can do it probably without a step stool. You can just reach up there and <laughs> unscrew them. <laughs> That's my lot in life is to reach things down for people in the grocery store and mm-hmm. change light bulbs. And actually it's like the best feeling of anything that I do in my life. The best feeling is like reaching things from tall shelves for strangers in the grocery store. <laughs> there really right. is no, nothing sweeter. You know, can you like check out what's the, what? in a way what we're doing as podcasters. Oh no. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to ask like how much of a high, uh, Heather gets from it. Like if you help somebody get something off a top shelf, is that like four hours of bonbons and TV or what's bonbons the, and TV? I don't know. I'm just the, whatever I, I the like modern sexist. equivalent of that is. <laughs> I feel like in some way that that's definitely, sexist. I'm sure it is, I, I but you know what I'm saying? Anyone other than Bob, it would be sexist. You know, I thought of that because of you, Glenn, you're the one who put bonbons back in my head over a text or something. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw you under the bus with me. 
So what, what, okay. So let's, let's, let's narrow it down this way. Which items, are there certain, certain types of things that you reach down where you feel better? Um, no, it's just the people actually. So this just happened a couple of days ago. Some guy in a, um, like a motorized cart, like could not like get up and reach it for himself. So it wasn't just like the height factor. Oh, well, I could have helped him. Yeah. That doesn't right. Like... But it was awesome. I got to like <laughs> switch out his lettuce, but some, but I look for it all the time. <laughs> I, I seriously, especially around the holidays, because a lot of people are shopping who don't normally like go do a lot of shopping in the grocery store because they're, you know, the sous chefs who've been sent out by the master chef to go look for things. And I'll be like, looking, is somebody looking for something? And there have been twice, twice in my life where I could see somebody was like looking at something and couldn't reach it, where I like reached out and grabbed it and handed it to him before they asked him like, oh, thanks. And I was like, dun, 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 super Heather to the rescue. <laughs> like just breezed on by. But I still want to know if that equals like two hours of lax Fun. time. Oh yeah. Okay. You want a statistic here? Uh, um, a made so up having one, never please. had bonbons uh, while watching TV. Just forget about that. Okay. <laughs> whatever it, you do for fun. <laughs> whatever I do for fun. Well, it's way better than the, is it? Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. It's way better than watching, uh, than binging four to five episodes of Breaking Bad, which okay. is what I've been doing daily while I'm oh, studying, wow. um, the Lion King. So it's just kind of on in the background and I know I'm going to have to watch it all again. But um, I'm finally watching Breaking Bad. All right. Well, we've shot the shit for 15 minutes and John still isn't here. So let's just uh, soldier on without him if he he Mm -hmm. comes along. So I I think I read the first paragraph or two of this this morning just to kind of familiarize myself with it. And I found it really boring. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's not good at all. I don't know why uh, there's like one or two paragraphs that are toward the last third that are the interesting ones. So I hope we don't have to go through like the first third. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but this was, so how how did this end up on our doorstep, so to speak? Well, let me tell you that story, Jake. So uh, (laughs) the, the winner of the most recent listener essay contest, Lisa hacking said, I have a request for the infants. I'd love for you guys to smack down the worst talk ever, the unwritten order of things by Boyd K. Packer. And so I said, all right, she's a winner. There you go. Worst talk ever. Okay. I mean, that's a high bar, but sure. We can just be the worst podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) Match. There we go. I don't think so. Uh, We've got some. We got Krista the psychic. I mean, we got a lot of stuff to really be worse than. (laughs) You know what? Hey, Krista. I'm just kidding, Glenn. I say that with love. (laughs) When you sent me the recording that we had with her about like artificial intelligence. Yeah. Are we ever going to do anything with that? I, I, I let's let's do the, I don't know let's just release it. What have really? I done? Are you okay if I just what have I done? Yeah, why not? Okay. I don't know. All right, let, let me listen to it one more time. But I'm pretty sure I remember listening to it and being like, <laughs> "It's interesting." These questions. These are interesting questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was interesting. That was like what six years ago? It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah. A while. All right. Hmm. Well, then how do you then how do you want to approach this, Bob? If if it's just like the last few paragraphs that are interesting. Uh, so what is the context of, did did you get any more information from the listener about why she was interested in us doing this? Sorry to interrupt you, Bob. I'm just curious if we can get a little more context for, to. No, I don't know. I mean, I'll see if I can find that email and if she included anything in there. Um, 
I think we can at least skip like the first three paragraphs. If we start with a principle is an enduring truth, which is See, like but a that's zinger. why I wanted John on because John made a big point about like the definition of principle on our last uh, McConkie one. Oh, that's true. Like, oh, yeah. I must, I must have something. And I, I mean, that's not why I wanted John on. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was there until this morning. I just thought, oh. I'd already asked. Uh, okay, let's see. You know what's funny is there's a part of this talk that I thought was in the talk, but isn't in it, but kind of was part of... I, I've had this talk referenced in my past life of being an active Mormon, especially in high school. And I remember somebody using this talk as, as a way to correct me uh, in terms of my behavior for something super, super petty. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that the right way. And then I was excited to read this talk because I just assumed that, that this, this behavior correction that was given to me as advice would be in here, but it wasn't. So the point being is that this talk lives on beyond what it actually says to the point of like being a thing people can just say <laughs> to make up shit for how you're supposed to behave, even though, you know, it's not, it's not inclusive of a million things that it could have said. That's probably way more abstract than necessary, but <laughs> so what no, was no, the thing? Well, listen, like it's hard to really. It's so hard to follow if I was told that you're supposed to take the sacrament with your right hand at all times because that's super important. It's an unwritten order of things. Topic. I mean, it's on the one hand, you might think it's petty, stupid, and bullshit, which is true. But on the other hand, there's a certain type of Mormon that thinks that left-handed sacrament taking could be a problem, and that type of Mormon informed me of that because I'm left-handed. Well, not because I'm left-handed, but I am left-handed and I didn't realize I was doing it wrong. So, and then they uh, referenced this talk. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, that's what this talk is all about is, was it the, um, the Pullman talk that was trying to separate, look, there's the gospel and then and the there's culture, culture mm-hmm. and the gospel is what is really important and all the rest isn't important. And then this talk, he's like, there's the gospel and then whatever else I like that <laughs> I want to <laughs> adhere to is also gospel even though it's not the scriptures or revelation it's the unwritten order that you need to do yeah and and he he doesn't differentiate that strong he's like i mean it's not as important as the gospel but if we were to make a top 10 list of important things it's like two or three so well okay interesting that you say top 10 list because um there is one that appeared on reddit reddit yeah to answer uh jake's question here here's what lisa said Um, She said, would you consider doing Paul, her husband, and I a favor? We both for years have wanted you all to do a smackdown on a particularly god-awful, and she spelled it G-A-W-D, so (laughs) god-awful talk, which continues to rain blood and horror upon our cult, capital Cult K. Wait, no. C U L T, capital your culture. One common theme many gripe about in the post Mormon world is how missionary, preachy, and controlling Mormon funerals are. Many of the reasons for this and several other cultural quirks mm-hmm. come from a talk by Boyd K. Packer called The Unwritten Order of Things. Here's a link. She sent me the link. And here is a super awesome Reddit post on this talk. And Uh, and what he does have to say about funerals is probably the worst that I've seen. And I've read a lot about funerals, but he was like, stop telling jokes at funerals. No jokes. Nobody joke. Like it drives away the spirit. Don't tell any stories about the person. This is an opportunity to preach the gospel, which we've talked about multiple times before. Yeah. Why are you talking about the deceased? How dare you? What is this? Right. A funeral? Like, uh, so, right. so I, I don't know. Do you guys, do you guys, would you rather, I, I put the link to that Reddit post on zoom. Um, would it be better to 
just smack down this top 10 list and go like Letterman style? Yeah. I mean, yes. Cause sure. I think we just smack down that, t- those Packer talk, everything yeah. that there really is said, to say. Yeah. It's, and I couldn't find the audio for it. So I was expecting that it would be like really one of those things that the church wants to bury. Yeah. But, I don't see why. It's, it's kind of the ultimate SmackDown to just be like, we're going to meta SmackDown. Like this doesn't even deserve to be like fully extended cut SmackDown. Uh, yeah. We'll just take the top 10. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So where is this top 10? Where should I be looking? There it is. Top 10 stupidest things. Oh, okay. Stupidest. Can I say number 11 is take the sacrament with your right hand, even though it's not in the talk, but it, it was a thing. It like, I remember that. So I'm just adding it. Hearing that, um, like, yeah, yeah, no, I I remember hearing that too. That you had to take it, and, and I didn't buy it even then. I thought that was stupid. Okay, <laughs> I was I was destined to leave the church. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the litmus test. It's like the marshmallow test. It's like this thing you think is insignificant. <laughs> but it's like left-handers, you're out. Like if yeah. you didn't take that seriously. Or like when the deacons, you know, they line up on either side and there's like this unwritten order, ex- except for it is written because they're deacons, they're 12 year olds. You sort of have to give them by the book instructions, but the way they pass the sacrament, people need to like hold the tray in the right hand or else if you look from the right, uh, from, from the right angle, you're not going to see like a perfectly lined up set of boys holding trays all on one side. So there's like, there are things like that where when you see somebody like holding the tray the wrong way, you're like, ah, you must be new. I mean, <laughs> you're not using your priesthood power appropriately. It would be really hard to be to go undercover into Mormonism. Kind of, yeah. It might be. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, uh, so if you went to in, uh, like, if your cover was, I'm a long time Mormon. Like, I grew up. I grew up in the church, and I went on a mission. If right, right. That, that, that's your, so, so you're in the you're, prep you're in the, would be very intense. You're yeah. put in the witness protection program, and no. your new identity you have to yes. pretend to be a lifelong Mormon. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do, right. do you guys like remember? That would, tough, that would be a tough gig. That would be. It a really would be. I think it's comparable to. Do you remember that scene in Inglorious Bastards where they have to pretend they're German, but then the right. thing that gives it away? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Jake's yeah. showing it with yeah. his hand. Is the way they say number three is not the way a German would hold their hand to say three, and it's like. Yeah, Mormonism has like a million of those where you're going to get it wrong if you don't just if you just haven't lived it. But uh, nobody cares. That's the other thing, though. Uh, from yeah, Nazis. yeah, it's true. You won't Nazis won't kill you if you get it. Wrong. <laughs> that's that's. I think that's <laughs> so the stakes are a little lower, but you right. get the point. <laughs> you'd be, be love bombed. <laughs> I think is what would happen. Oh, I've been love bombed after Recently? I left. After I went, what did you do wrong? Church. It was yeah. like the the first maybe three, four months after I left the church, I got love bombed. It hasn't happened since. Mm. How, how, what were the tactics? What were the ingredients of the bomb? Um, they covered my door with hearts and some big poster. Mm. That's oh, what it is, right? Like a heart attack. Oh, oh, okay. So this is a love bomb is a real what? thing that they what? do to inactives and, people where they come and, and they have, I think it was the young women they had like each write notes to me or something on a different heart or maybe it was the relief society. I don't remember who it was. Oh, I think it was the young women, but we're, and then they come and they put them all over your, um, your door. And that's a love bomb. Oh, was somebody asking you to a church dance by chance or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a lot like that. Yeah. Huh. And how did you respond? 
Uh, you don't respond. I, I mean, I suppose oh. I could have gone to church. But you could have said yes. <laughs> you should have just like slipped a yes somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> yes, I will go to prom with you, <laughs> young women. <laughs> I will go to Mormon prom. Mormon Do you know there's prom. Mormon prom now? Was there Mormon prom when you guys were growing up? No. What do you mean Mormon prom? Oh, so Mormon prom, it initially was supposed to be an opportunity for kids to go to prom in modest dresses, like wearing a sweater over their evening gown and like not staying out late and super supervised and, and nobody would, you know, get drunk or um, touch each other in their naughty parts or whatever it is that people do at prom. So they okay. started doing Mormon prom and then they moved Mormon prom so that people could go to their regular prom. So it no longer fulfills the measure of its creation. It's this extra thing where it's like this super uh, expensive church dance that the parents of kids who are prom age all put on and they like go crazy turning the whole cultural hall white and then doing a light show in there what? or whatever. And then, yes, and then they all go to prom um, and take their cardigans off for their prom. Wait, but I'm confused. I thought that Mormons typically had to deal with living in the real world. And part of what they dealt with was just being themselves wherever they are. So is there like a Mormon gas station, a Mormon grocery store? Like you can do all those things and just go to a regular prom. There's nothing that stops you from like wearing a cardigan and not touching naughty parts and just being Mormon in the real world. So it just begs the question of like, what else do you need to do to avoid all these awful things that you might be otherwise inclined to do when you just go out and leave your house for the day? Utah. I mean, wasn't everybody Mormon anyway? Exactly. I don't think it would, I don't think it would be necessary at all in say Minersville, Utah, but out here in the sticks, somebody was like, maybe we could do our own prom out here in the sticks, meaning out here in the mission field. Oh, and it's the greater Washington, D.C. metro area. Th- th- this is an, a prime example of someone really, really magnifying their calling. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yes. so extra <laughs> calling. I, I don't think it's even, I don't think anybody is called to it. It's ad hoc. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's very like. It, it's like the, the APs in the mission field who are like, I'm going to come up with this new mission program that's going to revolutionize everything. Oh, man. Everybody's got, everybody's got to put their imprint on stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mormon prom. It's like when enduring to the end is too easy, and you're like, okay, what else can I do to just annoy people? <laughs> <laughs> enduring to the end is too easy. Let, let me police the color of their shirts and exactly feeding and right. which hand they're using to feed themselves. Yeah, that's that's the truth. Well, that's, I mean, maybe that's why that that type of behavior is more prominent in. Um, Prominent. Areas. Hey, oh, <laughs> that's not even a pun. It, it just <laughs> happened to be the same word as another prominent. <laughs> so uh, the reason that that's so prominent, and like, in I wonder if if that type of thing happens more in high in high concentration Mormon areas because they don't have enough to do. But it has to be in the middle because it has to be high enough concentration that there's reason for a gathering to happen. But it has to be low enough that it's like heathens are surrounding you most of the time and you're in the Washington DC area and like, so maybe Idaho, Nevada, Washington DC, I guess, but it doesn't seem like Utah County is really in need of this program. (laughs) Yeah. They've got other costly shows of devotion. (laughs) Right. Anyway. Okay. Let's, let's do it. It's it's good. All right. Number 10. Uh, I'm going to read number 10. A new stake president sometimes will ask quote, must I sit on the stand in every meeting in the stake? May I not sit with my family? I tell him, 
While you preside, you are to sit on the stand. I am tempted to say, but I don't, I don't say, I can't have that privilege. Why should you? So that's Boyd K. Packer. Oh, wait, wait. But then you've got to also read their, their uh, assessment of this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So whoever this is, did this, this is Reddit a great post. kind of Bob type of thing. <laughs> they did a good, like in, in italics, here's what I think, trying for humor here, I think, but basically saying I am 800 times cooler than a stake president, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is pretty accurate commentary as to what's going on with good old Boyd here and the way he phrased this. I, I also think it's, it's really trying to downplay the hard on he gets for sitting on the stand. <laughs> you know, like, right. I don't really want to, to be up here in front of everyone. I don't yeah. want to stand up here in a position As, of authority where we all have to right. I really rather be sitting with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> the privilege of sitting among the unwashed masses. Uh, yeah. That, I, I don't really buy that from Boyd. Yeah. Yeah, and he, and he said something else in the talk about how the first counselor sits on the right hand and the second counselor sits on the left hand and how important it is to be like precise about oh, it's all that kind of shit just drove me nuts. But then I wanted to so, ask so, like stage right, stage, stage left like what's the, <laughs> right. No, the, the real right. <laughs> okay. Do you can you imagine like trying being the director of the temple videos and trying to get it through the stake presidency where there are like 15 pedants who all have an idea of who should be stage right and stage left in every scene, <laughs> like what, what the gods or special order of things ought to be. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That, that would have been an interest. That would be an interesting thing to sit in on. Yeah. Who knows how that would play out, how that would play out. All right. Should I read the next one? All right. Another example. If you watch the first presidency, you will see that the first counselor, oh, here it is, always sits on the right of the president. <laughs> oh, oh look at go. that, if we'd read ahead of all. The second counselor sits on the left. That is a demonstration of doing things decently and in order, as Paul told us. Wow, what a stretch from a scripture. <laughs> let me, let me, he did like a Google, like a word search for order. <laughs> Sounds like decently and in order, because it would be so indecent if they were on the other sides. And the commentary is, who cares who sits where? Certainly not Paul or Jesus. People wonder why the church flounders. Maybe because the leaders care about nonsense like this. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Mr. Commenter, though, has a little bit of a chip on his or her shoulder. <laughs> like, I mean, it is nonsense, but can you, I mean, it's the one true church. There would be the right way to do this after all. I mean, if you just subscribe to it, it's not that far-fetched, right? I mean, I it, is, it is a little bit OCD, though. It's like a <laughs> quite OCD, right? Like yeah. you have to sit on a certain side of the of a certain to be proper. Side. It's this whole idea of like being proper. What, what's the word? Uh, decently and in order. I mean, uh, it's just that whole. I don't know, guys. Have you been God recently? And, I mean, he's kind of a hard ass. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. see, the weird thing about it is that the rest of them seem to. Well, I guess not a lot of them. Like, like, so when I'm I'm reading through the talk, uh, as I was reading through the talk, I saw there was a part about um, that that ordinary. Oh, oh, this is actually one of the points. Uh, it the might be one. the next one, <laughs> number eight. Ordinarily, <laughs> but not always, if the presiding officer speaks, it will be at the end of the meeting. Then clarification or correction can be given. I have had the experience many times at the close of meetings. Well, brother and sister said somebody said such and such, and I said, and I'm sure they meant such and such. So. <laughs> I think, but, but that, but the thing is that, that 
like has a function, right? He like calls out, it's like, this, there's a specific, this, this serves a specific purpose. There's some sort of pragmatic reason for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sitting thing has none whatsoever other than there's an order, like apparently order. Right. What what is the harm? Somebody could come up afterwards and be like, Oh, I thought you were the first counselor because you were sitting on the other side. Oh, what a big mistake. Well, if, not if, to, if all three of them are saying something different and you have to choose which one you're going to follow, it's the dude in the middle. The, right. the hierarchy, if you know their ranking, right, you right, make right, the right. proper, right, decent choice and not be left floundering and have Satan drag you down. Right. The, whatever. But this yeah, is all but, rooted. I mean, uh, sense. not to play the pseudo, <laughs> the, 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 the pseudo victim card, but this is all rooted in the right is better than the left, you know, like, Right is first counselor, left Duh. is second counselor. Right is the way to take the sacrament. If you're left-handed, if you do anything with the left side and you're, it's, it's, you're in the minority. The choice and that's is just placed like, before you, Bob. <laughs> choice right in the name. She's the, the right. left. She's the right. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, of course oh. Whoa. Uh, yeah, so like, what's this inferiority sort of situation going on here what is so wrong with the left side of things you've well, got just right and all, left and right and right in all of human history though as it because, is um, um homo sapiens are predominantly right-handed so the right has always in all cultures has always been like the cool things the right side does that that's why through? i mean it's even in the language like this is the right thing to do that's your right hand and that's true of many many languages other than english Mm-hmm. That was my question. It was about the language thing. So already answered it. Harvard. I, I would say choose the right is more of an English thing, right? Because I don't, and right, right. Uh, I don't think right is so, so much that way in every. Or it's not, it's not, I, I only know Japanese. It's not in Japanese, but others it might be. Like, like Japanese also doesn't come from a Judeo-Christian tradition. Same with so, Bulgarian. The, the word yeah. for right, for choose the right is way different than the right side of things, you know, or yeah. so it's very English in, in that sense, or maybe Spanish or I, I don't know who knows what languages we all know amongst each other, but it seems like it's a very English centric thing as well. Where no, right no means, like think about like the word dexterous, right? Um, comes from the Latin for like dex, dex means right in Latin. So if you say Somebody is ambidextrous. That means they're both right-handed. Hmm. Okay. So it is more than, so there's like Latin roots and stuff that make it that way. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, mean, and it may be more of an Indo-European thing that is connected to a Judeo-Christian culture. That's uh, my I hypothesis think, until it's proven. But it all came from Mormonism originally because it wouldn't, it, I mean, it's right. not that Mormonism got it from somewhere else. That would well, never what happen. Happened, it, it, everything, everything was correct with Adam and Eve. And then it just evolved <laughs> from there. It just un, unraveled until Joseph Smith. Got it. Picked it up again. Yep. All right. I'll, okay. do, number, I'll do number seven. Uh, in those days, the stake clerk received a small stipend a little money something or other, I suppose to buy supplies. A sister who knew him well wrote and said, Spencer, I'm surprised at you to take a calling just because there's money involved. Then she said, if you're going to change your attitude within two, or, and then, then she said, if you don't change your attitude within two months, you'll apostatize from the church. Well, she was a little off in her timing. Uh-huh. The point of the story is, yeah, is the comment there. I don't know. I, and I didn't read it in context of the talk, so I don't know what that's even about. I did, and it doesn't help. So basically, what 
is trying to be said here is that there was a sister in the ward who thought that Spencer W. Kimball, who later becomes president prophet of the church was interested in the the calling because yeah, yeah. He was interested in this calling because he was getting money for it. And she's like, if you don't change your attitude, projecting her own interest in a calling with money, then Mm -hmm. you'll apostatize apostas, whatever that word is from the church. And well, well, she was a little off on her timing, exclamation point, is Boyd K. Packer trying to get a zinger joke line out of it. Like, ha ha, he became a revealing that Spencer Kimball apostatized in the spirit world after right. death or will do so. Yeah, revealed. Oh, that's right another here. read. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, I, I, I understand it now. It's also saying, don't question your leaders. Don't, don't criticize and nitpick people like Spencer W. Kimball and think that you know better. You're just going to be wrong like this lady was. And even if they apostatize later, it doesn't matter. He's a prophet. He's a president. It's not apostasy if it's him. And so yeah, I'm going to make a joke out thing. of that. Like, this, is, this, is, this one's weird to me because it's only something he, she could have known. Like the, it, This only becomes a story in hindsight, right? In, right? in very, very long hindsight. There's no way of... Like, I feel like it's not very usefully prescriptive because it, everything else is a criticism about the other people not being righteous enough yeah. motives, but then it's like, but unless they end up being prophets. So, you know, be careful. Okay. But are you guys seeing something more in here? It's like in those days, the state clerk received a small stipend. So was he's like paid a little bit? He's like a little monthly something or other, I suppose to buy supplies. I don't know what it was really for, you know, we used to pay the state clerk. Yeah. There's a, there's a the little case? defensiveness in here. There's, there's some kind of like, Hey, Money flows around for little things, and don't one of you get a copy of my W-2, because, you know. Right. Look, some happens. people in the church get paid. Some people in this lay church get paid. It's just the way it is. It a is, little something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. let me remind you, when they're apostles, that trumps everything. So if they get paid or not, that's not the point. It's, a, it's dumb of you to point it out, because they're an apostle now, or a prophet, or whatever. Like, it, he is trying to, like, sweep something. There's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for, like, money being involved, and somebody pointing it out and it rubbing him the wrong way. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, the, 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 the next, the next paragraph after this, he, I mean, he's doing a lot of name dropping in here. He tells a, he tells a story like for no reason, elder Harold B. Lee presided over our state conference. That has absolutely nothing to do with what he's going to say next. Mm. Between sessions, we had lunch at the home of president Zundel. Don and I uh, arrived a little late because we'd gone back home to check on our young children Elder Lee had come to the car to retrieve something from his car and was on the walk when we arrived. I'm sure we were very visibly moved to be able to talk personally and to shake hands with an apostle. He gestured toward the house and said, speaking of the stake presidency who were assembled there, they are great men, never fail to learn from men such as these. And I had been taught something of the unwritten order of things by an apostle. I, like, like the whole point of that story is worship. if, yeah, he wrote worship. God damn it. That was, that's, I'm glad you, you touched on that one. Cause that, that, that was that, just random. Yeah. That, but and, and, and this is right after this thing of this woman who's criticizing the prophet of the church. Was, was he the prophet in 81? Um, Spencer w. Kimball. He was, okay, can we just read this story? Cause I, I kind of wanted, I want to, I, I, I keep reading it over and I cannot. Okay. Where? <laughs> okay so I'm going to tell you, um, I cannot tell you all that I learned in that calling. Wait, okay, I'll try and find that. So, uh, I can, uh, um, oh, say, so I'll, I'll start with I was on a plane once with President Kimball. Okay, got it. President yeah, Kimball. Okay, 
I was on a plane once with President Kimball, who I think served for 19 years as a stake clerk. A member that lived in the stake at the time was on the plane. He said to me, if I'd known that our stake clerk was going to be president of the church, I'd have treated him a lot better. (laughs) So I I think the, the sub, I think one piece of the subtext here is he was stake clerk for 19 years. You know, you don't, don't underestimate your stake clerks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's true. They they could be like, you know, they may look like stupid losers now. Like Yoda. But but, Right. Everyone go home and suck up to your state clerk. Exactly. If, but you know, they could really get into a position where they're actually worthwhile. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's go uh, two paragraphs above that. Okay. I learned years ago that we do not choose where we serve. We just answer the call. Um, And so maybe this is stemming from, because one of the ones he talked about how you don't reject callings. If you're, yeah. If, if you're offered a calling, you don't ever reject it. That's part of the unwritten order of things. So, so maybe he's riffing off of that again, you know, like you could be a lowly stake clerk and think that it's nothing and then end up being president Kimball. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't surprise me. I'm wondering why he think, does he think that these things shouldn't be unwritten? Right. There's some irony here. I'm going to tell you about all these unwritten things and I'd like somebody to transcribe this and publish it for uh, generations to come. Uh, It's like, okay, Boyd, sounds good. Wink. I mean, I wonder if he like, if he felt like if it bothered him that they were, these were unwritten. Is there, I don't know. I I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, I'm going to keep reading the story. Okay. So (laughs) brother Kimball was actually serving as a second counselor in the state president when the state clerk moved. They called the clerk and that clerk moved. Brother Kimball had taken over the responsibility. Brother Melvin J. Ballard came to the conference and, and he said, you shouldn't have to be a second counselor and the clerk at the same time. You choose which you would rather be. Ah, okay, I see, I see, I see. Brother Kimball is used to not having a choice, not used to having a choice. He wanted to have Brother Ballard tell him, but Brother Ballard said, no, you choose. So Brother Kimball said, I have a typewriter. Very few people, very few people have typewriters. And I know the system. I think I can make a better contribution if I stay as state clerk. And so it was. So it's because he chose. See, I think this, this oh. has to do with like he says, uh, it, like, a, like five paragraphs up, he says, another illustration, we do not aspire to calls in the church, nor do we ask to be released. So it, it, I, it's about like he, since he had a choice and he chose the one with the money, <gasps> that's why she was, that's, that's why. That's why exactly. Well, how did his sister know any of those details anyway? Uh, gossip much i mean come on like <laughs> information just, is purposely withheld from women I, I don't know how she would know all these details behind the scenes well it says she knew him well who knew him well okay well and she yeah. wrote him too yeah well, that's, a, that's another unwritten order of something there i don't know what's going on spencer um it also shows that women should not um hold the priesthood because she has a revelation here that did not come true oh uh, yeah that's true she was a little off in her timing. Wow, she's getting, <laughs> you know, it's, but indirectly. That's kind of the unspoken order of things. I mean, it is kind of a given. I but women shouldn't have the priesthood. Anyway, yeah, no, right. sorry. Well, that's a yeah, spoken order. Guess. I feel like that's. <laughs> about that. <laughs> it really got under his skin, though. This is a lot of paragraphs. She, she gets a lot of screen time in his talk, so to speak. <laughs> it's <laughs> just, true. Just being like, you know, someone who's doing something the wrong way and having access to all this information and. Like he's almost revealing more about him than about her in a lot of ways. Um, anyway. 
You know, I'm looking over this list here and one thing that's not on here that I thought was appalling. Oh, now I have to go back and find it in the talk. It was sort of about these calling things where it's like, um, some bishop tried to issue a calling. He issued it to nine different people. Oh, it was like primary president and they all turned it down. And Boyd told him, I guess you didn't actually call any of those people. You just asked them if you were going to call and this is the way to do it. And he has some like ultra manipulative thing where he's like, we've all prayed together and received revelation and felt the spirit that you are the person who is supposed to have this calling. What do you say to that? You know, you say it in this like, he has that in the talk. Yeah, that's in the, in the talk. Like the proper way to call people is to make it so that they know that you just can't say no, that no is not an option. Oh, let's read that paragraph. That's yeah. 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 Okay. Now I got to find that. Shoot. <laughs> I okay. do remember that. Ah, should ask. Where's the original talk. Shoot. <laughs> May, maybe oh, okay. what we're so learning in is, real time is that smackdowns of talks really should be, be smackdown of talks. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, cool. we, we were trying something new and it was so a shortcut. Anyway. The paragraph that starts uh, that, that this is in starts with principal colon, a prime attribute of a good leader is to be a good follower. Is there something about BYU devotional addresses or talks that need to be buried that makes it so that the church only publishes them in some weird, like 1997 internet format that makes it super hard to read? Or is wow. I, am I just noticing that? Well, yeah, it, it's kind of weird because he gave, he gave this talk at, at a, BYU in Provo, Utah, but it's on the BYU Idaho website and it's not on the, the BYU Provo. Oh my God. Website. That's mm. these volumes right there. Yeah. But That's I mean, so the, BYU Idaho, there, there are other, um, th- there are other devotionals that go back around that time, but this, this one just isn't included on, on the, the BYU Provo, uh, website. So I don't know why. There are so many nuggets from devotional addresses. It's like the it's like the B sides of general conference. You know, you get some some almost revelation and some of the like real feelings of how general authorities feel. Like Dallin H. Oaks has tons of devotionals where he says some crazy shit and like oh. it's just slightly more than what he could say in general conference. And I and I have to wonder if it's because like they're indexed differently on the website or half of them aren't published or the audio isn't there and it's just like, oh, I'm gonna let loose a little more. Uh, that's just me speculating though. Who knows? Do you want to read this Heather? Did you find it? Yeah. Yeah. From, from principle, a prime attribute of a good leader is to be a good follower in a meeting with bishops, a new and struggling Bishop once asked me, how do I get people to follow me? I've called nine sisters to be president of a primary and none has accepted. And then he's like, I could be a jerk because (laughs) there was a good humor in the room. There was a good humor and a pleasant spirit in the meeting, which made it an ideal teaching moment. I answered that I doubted he had called any of the nine sisters. Oh, snap. He must only have asked or invited them. I told him that if he had earnestly prayed and counseled with his counselors as to who should preside over the primary, the first sister would have accepted the call. Perhaps he might have discovered in the interview some reason why it was not advisable or timely for that sister to serve and excuse her from serving because sometimes 
um, God forgets to tell you that the woman is being beaten at home or whatever it is. Yeah. Minor you're praying with your counselors, <laughs> but surely not more than one or two. If that many sisters turned down the call, something was out of order. The unwritten, the unwritten order. order. Ooh, nice. <laughs> and then because there was such a good spirit in the meeting, and I wouldn't have done this if there was a bad spirit in the meeting, folks. I said to him, Bishop, I know something else about you. You're not a good follower, are you? Aren't you the one who's always questioning what the stake president asks of his bishops? Jeez. The other bishops oh. in the room started to chuckle and nod their heads. He was the one. Oh, oh, oh my God. Well, that's a good. There, there was a good humor in that room. There was. Yeah. There, was there was chuckling. Like there the was vibe in this room. I think it's. All right. He chuckled and said, he supposed that was right. I said, perhaps the reason your members don't follow their leader is because you don't follow yours. An essential attribute of a leader in the church is faithful and lower loyal fellowship. <laughs> the key to leadership is fellowship in the church. <laughs> that is just the order of things, the unwritten order of things. That's so weird. That word loyal fellowship. That's not like a real thing, right? Like if you were to Google followship, I feel like he made that up for this talk. No, I, but I, I've, well, I've sat in on like business training things where they talk about the importance of uh, what, what makes a good leader is people choosing to follow you. You know, like this connection between leader being a good follower. I don't know. Not exactly the way that he used it here, but I've, I've seen those things played around with before and people thinking that they're cute because they can make something rhyme or whatever. I don't know. Mm. You know, that wasn't actually the story about like how to issue a, a call you can't refuse. It was the one afterward where somebody was trying to convince this guy to work with the youth and be a superintendent of a young stake young men's organization. And the guy kept telling him, no, let's like, just keep reading it. You, no, you want to read it? Yeah, just yeah keep well, let's, just keep, let's just keep going from where this is. Yeah. Yeah. When a young man, somebody else read. When I was a young man. I'll do it. When I was a young man, Elder Spencer W. Kimball came to our conference and he told this experience. When he was a stake president in Safford, Arizona, there was a vacancy in the office of superintendent of young men in the stake, as the office was then called. He left his office one day, went a few steps down the street and had a conversation with the owner of a business. He said, Jack, how would you like to be superintendent of the stake young men's organization? Jack replied, oh, Spencer, you don't mean me. Spencer replied, of course I do. You get along well with the youth. He tried to convince him, but the man turned him down. Later in the day, after smoldering with his failure, Ooh. finally remembering what Jacob had said in the Book of Mormon, quote, having first obtained mine errand from the Lord, end quote, Jacob 117, he returned to Jack, calling him brother and by his last name to assert his authority over him. He said, we have a vacancy in a stake office. My counselors and I have discussed it, even though they hadn't. We've prayed about it for some time. Another lie. Sunday, we <laughs> down together and asked the Lord for inspiration about who should be called to that position. And a little angel appeared down and pop him. Oh, wait, no, that's <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he doing like a Johnny Carson thing where, where yeah. he puts the envelope on his head. He's like, <laughs> I wrote this down six weeks ago. Yeah. <sighs> We received the inspiration that you should be called. We, 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 we. Didn't he just say that this was the same day, later in the day, and now he's making up all this shit? Uh, we received the inspiration that you should be called as a servant of the Lord. I am here to deliver that call. Jack said, well, Spencer, if you're going to put it that way, well, I am putting it 
that way. You know the result. It helps to follow the proper order of things, even the unwritten order. Ah, oh, geez. Yeah, good call, Heather. That's just horrid. It is. Yeah, I love how he's like, the problem was you called him Jack. If you yeah. called him Brother yeah. Wellington, we have received revelation. Yeah. Three people kneeling together all came up with your name. What do you say to that? You didn't put enough pressure on him. The unwritten order of things is to put a lot of authoritarian pressure on people so they don't have the choice to exercise their free agency. You take the free away from the agency to just I, obey. Yeah. Just obey. I mean, I was, I was just stuck being offended by the constant use of the shorthand form of the eloquent name, John. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know who this Jack right. character is, but right. yeah. even and Boy K. Packer. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, should, that, that's more appropriate. Boyd, Boyd K. Packer later in the talk explains how we don't we don't say Liz and Bill and Dave. Really? Oh my yeah. God! We just got to keep reading this. It, it's really great, and and it's ironic because he he tells this whole story just subscribing to the fact that Jack, whoever this Jack is, likes to be called Jack. But then later on, he's like, when people want to be called Bill or Dave or Liz, you shouldn't do that. That's bad. The unwritten order of things is Elizabeth, you know, William and David. But he just gets through saying this Jack story. I don't know. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. It's weird. It's all I didn't notice that. Oh, my gosh. It bothers me to see on a sacrament meeting program that Liz and Bill and Dave will participate. Ought it not to be Elizabeth and William and David? (laughs) Good grief. Buck or Butch or Chuck on the high council? Can't we have the full names on that important record? All right. Boyd K., period packer (laughs) 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 who started that yeah so uh, you know what's weird is is i don't know this whole this whole notion of like what the unwritten order is uh i mean i think i think that this just goes to show that this like to to um bob's point I don't think that he really thought, I mean, he, he, he probably only had some bullet points or something that he was going to say. This probably wasn't like even a fully written talk. It was probably somewhat colloquial. From the hip. Kind of, just riffing on his pet kind of peeves. Riffing, <laughs> it's just kind of random. Like if you look at the, the narrative, just kind of, it, it doesn't seem very thematically cohesive. He, it's just kind of this jumble of thoughts that he has. And he's like, yeah, I can make a talk out of this. Like, yeah. I think that this is a indicative of just a, uh, a bunch of things that he thought are associated with each other. And I think that this is interesting because it's like, it's kind of a window into his it's subconscious. A, it really is. Oh, it's yeah. a laundry list of pet peeves is really what it is. Yeah. And don't you, don't you just picture the poor, uh, OCD scrupulosity afflicted members of the church who are really keeping all of the, the actual written laws and right. and gospel being like, Oh my gosh, here's something we can do more where he says, there are many things I could say about such matters as wearing Sunday best. Do you know what Sunday best means? It used to be the case. Now we see ever more informal slouchy clothing in our meetings. And they're like, okay, okay. Better clothes, even dressier Sunday best. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to do the full names. This is awesome. There's so many other things that we could be doing. Yeah. 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 There's a certain baseline amount of Mormons it's it's pretty small, I'd say at this point, but that really have got it down, Pat. Like they know how to be Mormon. I mean, they're they're practically perfect, except for like the gossip and coveting your neighbor and all you know the the normal human condition stuff. But that doesn't count as long as you're paying your tithing, you're not drinking the wrong things, and you're you're you know going to church and ironing your shirt or whatever. But like 
you just need these extra things like no blue shirts, make sure your shirt's more ironed. If you're, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like what some of the other ones were when I was growing up, there was just these, there's just this like extended cut of, of bonus rules that you go for. If you're already in like celestial kingdom territory by the, by the standard stuff that you're supposed to be doing. And he's just like, I feel like he's the, he's kind of the prophet equivalent of that where he's like, you know, I could give a talk on just the boring old gospel that we all know and follow, but we've all been doing that for decades. Let me, let me spice it up a little and tell you about the little nitpicky things. Cause I'm bored of the other shit. Um, anyway, that's my so, Yeah. And what's the theme? Like, I'm trying to think like what the, what, what are, what are the underlying like themes of these, these underlying characteristics like what what is the underlying characteristic that makes this his list of pet peeves about mormonism because if we, there's a lot of people that come up with if they came up with like active mormons believing mormons that would come up with a completely different list of you know things that bother them it seems so what, like what is his underlying like what's this rosebud thing that he has reference to authority it's like if you really knew how to respect me and give me the the credit and and you know stance that i have you would know that this is how you would behave when i'm looking down on you from the stand well and and you say it as if it's him and you're probably right but i i think that he's he thinks that that's what god is that this is that that boyd k packer's god is a very meticulous nitpicky god that if you don't show him the utmost respect in every little minute detail you're only hurting yourself and so he's trying to help people not incur the wrath, you know, or, or go astray or whatever, because this view of God is this legalistic Pharisee that cares about this kind of shit. Yeah, that's that's interesting, because I always had this feeling of even before I started doubting you know, Mormonism at all, I, I would go through times where I'd be like, is heaven going to be like Sundays <laughs> or is heaven going to be like the celestial room? Because I was like, I fucking hope not. I mean, it just didn't sound like it, like it, it that, that God just did not sound yeah. fun or interesting, but that's the sense that you get because I think people with that type of mentality are the ones that tend to be the Boyd K Packers of the world. Right. No swimming. And you could only watch the church cartoons. It's yeah. really kind of a boring day with those limitations. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of cheating with this next comment because I'm, I'm riffing off of a conversation that Bob and I had with a listener named Claudia um, a couple of weeks ago that I listened to and started doing some editing on today. And part of that conversation. Where, Why is uh, that cheating? Yeah, I know I'm cheating because, because I'm, pulling from a different conversation and inserting it into this one. Okay. But, but this, okay. as a way to try and, and uh, further what, what you had said there, um, mm. Jake, and now I'm losing track. Okay. Okay. You were talking to Claudia two weeks ago. I gave this uh, thought experiment and I said, is it possible that the early church was more like far left, very liberal with Joseph Smith, the United Order, you know, all, all this stuff that they were doing. And then with the, with the chaos, they had to clamp down and it became this ultra conservative organization where now the, the real value is obedience. And if, and if that is a, a legitimate shift that happened, then maybe the God, the way that God is perceived by the time Boyd K. Packer is in power, it's all about 
maintaining order. And that's, that's why this is the unwritten order of things. It's, it's just like this ultra conservative here, here, what we've been given in the past are all of the placeholders and everything needs to be right in the place, exactly where it's supposed to be with precision. And once it starts going astray, then we're on the path to chaos. Um, Yes. And that, that is that, I mean, this is like a prime example of the push toward correlation. Yeah. to be top down and he has, and this is actually number five of the, um, of the top 10 list. I thought this was a good pull too, where he says another principle revelation in the church is vertical. It generally confines itself to the administrative or geographic boundaries or limitations assigned to the one who's called. For instance, a bishop who's trying to solve a problem will not get revelation by counseling with a bishop from another ward or stake to whom he is related or with whom he might work at the office. It's like, don't talk to your coworkers. Don't try to problem solve on your own. Even though that's has taught me that revelation comes from above, not from the side. It's all under our control. Everything that you should do comes from me. Yeah. But then he contradicts himself because there's another portion of the talk where he says like, I mean, don't assume that writing to a general authority is going to give you any more clout and clarity or or is going to give you any more clarity on, on, you know, answers that you're seeking. Right. He's, he's, don't try to skip the links in the chain. You're all, you're supposed to go to the person right above you and never to the side or never to the person above him. There's one person that you can talk to and that's the man right above you. Yeah. And if you were to actually like, that's just completely bullshit because like just any other organization, nonprofit business, if I were to go into work tomorrow and they're like, don't talk to your coworkers and never talk to your boss's boss, only talk to your boss it's just counterintuitive. It doesn't, it like, it's, that's not how you solve problems by isolating your solutions to one person. Well, it depends on what type of organization you're trying to run. Right. Like, I mean, like, like if you're running and this, I'm only making this, uh, I'm only invoking this similarity out of just an example of uh, it's very superficial, but okay. like a drug cartel is very solid, <laughs> right? Because there are certain, basically there are certain the ways that, that you cartel. need to set up. Like if you need the, the uh, or like this isn't, uh, this is, they don't intend for this to be an organization that can adapt quickly to change or innovate that's replicable across a wide area easily and is manageable. And I think that that's also probably an outgrowth of a survival mechanism of being in Utah way out in the freaking boonies and being like, could they have survived if they didn't do, if they didn't create and cultivate a culture like that, could they have survived as a group way, way beyond the borders, like out in the middle of nowhere with no safety net, no one to help them. Well, that's what keeps happening in the church. It's the more leeway you give to your local leaders, the quicker you have break off, sects doing their own thing and no longer recognizing the, um, the, uh, centralized authority. So the church dealt with that so much, especially in the more remote places where they had like less trained leadership, that that's why correlation happened. It was an effort to make the church much more centralized and make the message, uh, 
much more, give the central leadership much more control over every part of the church so that people didn't start doing their own programs that start to work. And then them saying, yeah, actually we're better at this anyway. We're going to literally do our own program. We don't need you anymore. Break off cartel. Yeah. I guess in the context of self-preservation and, um, trying to stop the bleeding, it, it makes sense to approach the problem in that way. But at the same time, I mean, zooming out a little bit, if, if a bishop who has no experience with like, you know, talking to girls who have been raped, for example, or just to pick any, like there's a million examples where probably the answer is best found elsewhere than only the one person available to you right above you, which is what Boyd K. Packer is saying. So like, of course, this is going to facilitate all sorts of horrendous behavior or inappropriate solutions or answers. I mean, because if you're just assuming that revelation is a catch-all for every problem ever, and revelation, as we all know, is just another euphemism for apparently your own thoughts or the thoughts of the only one person you're allowed to talk to right above you, then you're, you're going to get into a lot of trouble in the real world, even if, sure, you're, you're stopping the bleeding in your, in your little churchy, you know, made-up land. But it's not, I mean, the, the you know, it, it's well-suited. I mean, this, this, the correlation and a lot of these things snapped into place, like in the era of early IBM, Right. I mean, basically, this is mirroring the organizational, like the best practices of organizational behavior at the time that it was put into place. But the thing is, organizational behavior research has like started to move on. And modern companies, like companies that are, that are coming of age now, operate in a very different way. There's just a lot like this, this type of run, this type of organizational behavior is not doesn't seem to be aging particularly well yeah like this is pre-internet as well like are you allowed to like inform yourself on the shit that's being told to you that you don't understand because you have no experience in being a psychologist slash bishop or whatever like Mm. there's just a lot of ways that this is the worst advice ever to give a person who's you know controlling and managing and supposedly supporting an entire flock even with the best intentions especially a lay person yeah exactly he's gonna screw up because his hands are tied you can only talk to one person and that's a bat phone by the way you don't get to call the stake president for every third thing that's freaking you out you also have to like you know pin that up against just the stake president's throughput of, of, of available bandwidth that that can be spread across all the bishops and it's just this weird funnel thing. So, of course, like, you just think about it for two seconds, and any organizational structure has to have horizontal communication and sharing of ideas and bouncing things off each other. But Boyd K. Packer is saying, no, that is the wrong way to do it. That's counter to revelation. And he's just trying to, like, do the early days of correlation and control the, the narrative, but it's just having all sorts of crazy unintended consequences as, as a result of that. So, um, I wonder now, nowadays, is this still like, is this still a thing? Or, I mean, like bishops now are a little more open, right? You can like, uh, consult more than your stake president. I don't know. I've never been a bishop. So I still think they're supposed to talk to their, um, their boss, like the chain of command is very clear and the church tries to keep that very clear. And the chain of command is anything you want to ask, 
you ask the person above you. And if they don't have an answer for it, you're never going to get an answer for it because they're only given the answers that trickle down from us and we won't answer anything we don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's what you prioritize above all else, then yeah, then just uh, don't be surprised if other shit happens, I guess. I don't know. Um. All right. So do we want to keep going with the talk? Where were we? We kind of bounced around. Let's go at, yeah. We'll go at number four or do you want to go in the talk? Let's do number four. Oh, which one is that? Um, okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. Uh, another point of order. See this, this whole thing is just stream of consciousness. <laughs> another, by the <laughs> way, another thing, another thing. And another Stop thing. Stop using nicknames. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> And another thing, like this whole thing is just him. <laughs> like, you know what else bothers me? <laughs> this is get off my lawn. I'm <laughs> yeah. style. What else, what else bothers me is when people play Bach in sacrament meeting. <laughs> Do we not have enough hymns in the hymnal that they have to use some heathen Lutheran? <laughs> yes. Another point of order. Bishop Sinaiel arranged for the meetings to members. <laughs> We should not yield the arrangement of funerals or missionary families, farewells to families. It's not the proper order of things for members or for, fam- or for families to expect to decide who will speak and for how long. Suggestions are in order, of course, but the bishop should not turn the meeting over to them. We are worried about the drift that is occurring in our meetings. Okay. I love how you started out with like drunk uncle voice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. This feels like a drunk uncle rant. It just kind of goes on and on and on until it's over. Yeah. It's so mean that as your kid is about to go serve a mission or has come back from spending two years of their life in the church, that your family should, shouldn't be allowed to talk about them or shouldn't be allowed to say, and then we'd like for so-and-so to sing. And then we'd like for so-and-so to talk. I mean, who, be- I, I don't, I'm sad that they, wrenched the control of um, farewells and kind of changed even the process of having a farewell in church because those were always the best like the farewells and the homecomings when people came in and gave their missionary stories those were awesome they were good but there was a there was a a little sense of like how far back uh, you know how much standing room is there for this and how did it compare to the last one and (laughs) yeah it's true it's true. Can I had uh, a particularly well attended farewell. It was, uh, you know, and that's that's a little strike again. You know, that's that's a that's a blow. Would you give yourself? Were you like a, a seven out of ten? Well, I mean, a little little disappointing. Uh, three point five. Three point five out of ten. Got it. Okay. Uh, Are you going to keep going, Jake? Awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, let me keep going. Funerals. All right. Um Funerals could and should be funerals could and should be the most spiritually impressive. They are become they are becoming informal family reunions in front of ward members. Often the spirit is repulsed by humorous experiences or jokes when the time should be devoted to teaching things of the spirit, even sacred things. This is so dumb. Yeah, it's just when mean. a family it's just several family members speak in a funeral, we hear about the deceased instead of the atonement, the resurrection, the comforting <laughs> promises revealed in the scriptures. That's all right to have a family member speak at a funeral, but if they do, their remarks should be in keeping with the spirit of the meeting. <laughs> Which is a fucking funeral! I know! I love how it's like, now if you must, I mean, if like, I don't know, the spouse, the, the children, if they really need to talk, I guess I'll let it slide. I mean, but I, it better be about 
um, which hand to take the sacrament with. Like if right. you can tell the difference between a funeral and any other sacrament meeting, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Uh, at least this one is transparent um, in terms of, you know, wanting it to be churchy and missionary work and that sort of thing. I was just thinking a lot of the other ones, I think, I think most of these are like in two categories. There's the ones where there's like, you can see the obvious reason of control, but then there's other ones that just make no sense where it's like, um, take the sacrament with your right hand, I guess. I don't, I don't know. It's like, what would happen if I took it with my left? Like what, what, what's here? What would happen if there's too much fun being had? Right. I guess it's not churchy enough, but if something else happens on some of these other ones, I hate how he doesn't offer up. I really want to know. Somebody should have asked him at some point in his life. Like, what do you think is going to happen if somebody violates that rule? I really, I really, I really, really, really hope that at some point before he died, somebody played him the I'm too sexy clip. (laughs) I I really hope he heard that and just was livid, was just absolutely livid. So finishing up point four, this last paragraph. Yeah. (laughs) I've told my brethren that, that in the day when my funeral is held, if any of them who speak, talk about me, I will raise up and correct them. We kind of did that mm-hmm. with the general conference. We, we brought Boyd back after his funeral. So I'm kind of happy about that. Sure, he the gospel it. is to be preached. I know of no meeting where the congregation is in a better state of readiness to receive revelation and inspiration from a speaker than they are at a funeral. This privilege is being taken away from us because we don't understand the order of things, the unwritten order of things that relates to the administration of the church and the reception of the spirit. A couple of things here. First of all, he thinks everybody who goes to a funeral really, really wants to hear the gospel. They're in like the best possible state and they aren't there going like, what the heck is going on here? Why aren't they talking about my grandpa? You know? Right. He's totally misreading it. And also, I really want to hear the transcript of his funeral now and check it. Was there any mention of him? There better not. No one had, had better ever have said his name or he <laughs> yeah. would have risen from the grave. And, and, and these especially should not have started with Brother Packer would have wanted us to talk about the gospel at his funeral because that's already talking about him. Yeah, Don't can't win. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, but how does this fit into... Uh the respect me thing. I feel like this is a little bit of a departure because the other ones seem like very clearly respect the line of authority and don't like that, that line of authority and that, that, that um, deference to the hierarchy, I feel like just driving most of this, but this one seems a little different. Well, yes and no. I think there's some weird psychology here because there's almost like this, well, I'm dead. But of course, if you subscribe to Mormonism, you know that you live on forever and everything. So, so then you think, well, then maybe he would or should care. But in the grand scheme of things, getting some praise during his own funeral, I mean, it's big of him for him to give that up as the one time when, you know, he's not sitting on the stand and, and uh, overseeing everyone and having all eyes on his authority. So I, I wouldn't put it past him to have this be like a, a faux modesty claim because it's really a pretty limited sacrifice on his part to give up a funeral being about him so that he can be the example of what funerals really need to be about, which is missionary work. And, you know, if he's subscribing to the greater good of Mormonism, giving up, uh, 
you know, people kissing his ass for two hours is when he's dead. It's a pretty small price to pay if you think about it. Yeah. Well, you know, also like if I don't have that privilege, why should you like, I, I, he (laughs) definitely like, I like that he's putting his money where his mouth is in this particular. Yeah. Um, or maybe he just knew that people would tell terrible stories about him. Okay. I, I looked up, uh, president Packer's funeral service. Oh, (laughs) there is a, there is a video montage. It's only like two minutes and 39 seconds long on LDS.org, but it's a slideshow of him and his life. Oh, what this what a wasted a opportunity that Jeez. they could have been talking about the atonement. Jeez. Yeah. The discussions involved at all? Is there any mention about the principles and ordinances of the gospel? I don't know. I'll have to look a little bit more. There, there may be some stuff on here, but jeez, uh, what a guy. What, what a, guy. a guy. I mean, this, the, the, uh, he just seems like a real... Not Matt, I don't want you know, to you know why like, you know what would have you know what would have made his life a lot better if he would have been allowed to love the person who he really wanted to love. Oh, oh mm. the boy K Pathy is closeted gay theory. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If if he just if 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 he would have if if God would have allowed him to just be who he was instead of put this test in front of him where he had to be so exact in passing every little part of this test that it just, you know, kind of sucked the joy out of life, but that's kind of what the Lord dealt him. Those are the cards that he was dealt and, and damn, if he didn't play them to its precise victory and, and then you know whatever. what? Okay. I don't love like speculating about people's um, sexual orientation. However, I'm about to do it because, um, because that would fit it. in with uh, kind of the profile of someone who is, uh, denying their um, sexual identity because one of the problems that you run into immediately psychologically is scrupulosity, where you think if you keep every little jot and tittle of things, then the Lord will change the feelings of your heart, mm-hmm. which kind of looks like, you know, he's finding all the jots and tittles, the Liz and Bill instead of Elizabeth and William, the color of the Sunday shirts and talking about other people talking about the deceased at a funeral, like all of these things that he could be a real pedant about and just really OCD about. Maybe he thinks if he does every little thing right as, and with the right hand that the Lord will, would change his, um, his, uh, desires. Yeah. Or, or every, everybody has to sacrifice things that are important to them, whether it's, you know, the, person who you want to love or like a nickname that you like everybody's got to sacrifice that for the lord i wonder if I he, if, if like then just to just to follow it through are you a lesser mormon if you if you name your children names that have nicknames i mean boyd is quite the name i it, you, you kind of get a free pass that you've only got one way to say it it's mm-hmm. just out there. And so like, you know, me as a Robert, there's just always that path I could take. And when I'm a Bob, it's just, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really getting close to the alcohol and the, you know, all the other bad things. What I don't if, know. I mean, and are you, are you also doing something? What if your name is Butch? Yeah. Or Jake. Mm, what if you're actually named Jake? What if you're actually <laughs> named Jake? Well, <laughs> are, are you actually named Jake or are you Jacob? No, but you know, I'm just saying. 
It, it could have happened. Because we do, we do have these short cutters on Infants on Thrones. We've got Matt instead of Matthew. Mm-hmm. We've got Tom instead of Thomas. You know, Rand, Randy instead of Randall. Yeah. Glenn, you're mm-hmm. good, though. You're, well, no, I'm Glenn, Dow. No, I'm pronouncing it. But I'm one. Dow. I, I, my, my first name is Dow. My, my middle name is Glenn. So it's, I'm pronouncing it with one N. Yeah, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, just shortcuts all over the place. You know, so I'll bet Boyd never called any of his long, lifelong friends and associates in the, um, in the first presidency or quorum of the 12 by their first name. Like he probably never said Tommy, Tommy Monson or Tom or anything. He probably always called him yeah. President Monson. Or, or he reserved it for its proper context. And when you're in the hallowed walls of the church or in a church program, that's not the time to be vulgar. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's the thing. It's like, I feel like there, like, it, it creates this vibe about the way that you think, the, the, the way that the church operates, it skews toward people that have this disposition. Like people that have this disposition are more likely to be uh, promoted and be in positions of leadership, and which creates like this cult, this like reinforcing culture where I've, at some point, realized like it, I don't know if it sounds like it would be fun to be in the celestial kingdom. I don't think like, it would. Does be. it have to be like this all the but, time? Like, is it full of, like, it, if it's full of the Boyd K Packers of the world, like, is there any space for, I don't know, somebody that's like goofy and more lighthearted? Totally. But, like it, he's saying here, the church is for implementers, not innovators. Church leadership is for those who can do what we tell them, not think for themselves. Implement, right. don't innovate. And so what's, what's, a, what's a creative type like this Jake Frost we may have heard of? What's he to do in the church leadership? Get in line. Get in line. I guess, I don't know. Give some, crack some jokes at funerals, I guess. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's no not, jokes. No but, jokes. But in his defense, if I can even, I'm going to try. Um, yeah. Uh, did you guys remember, this is a few years back, there was like, somebody gave a talk informally at a state conference, but it was like a high up person. It was like either, I think it was an apostle and it was about how, when they gather together, they, they pick from a box of chocolates and the older apostles get to pick from the chocolates first. And then like the younger apostles, sometimes somebody made, I think this person made a joke like, Oh, by the time the chocolates get to me, like, maybe I don't want that chocolate, but it's okay. It's still chocolate. There was like some joke and then it, and it made the rounds for a little while. I'm probably butchering it because it was like, oh my God, I can't believe that <laughs> the apostles argue over chocolates. And they had to like come back and somebody had to make a statement about it. It's like, that wow. was just a cute story. It's okay. The apostles don't really take it that seriously. The chocolate picking process at the beginning of the meetings. And so <laughs> there, there is this thing where like he is fitting a persona that the membership <laughs> wants because if he, if he were to actually let out that he calls Thomas S. Monson Tommy or that, you know, he doesn't like the chocolate he was given, it's just like way too human. It's just, it's just you know, that would be just too much for the congregation to understand so there's this like there's this pulpit persona and then Mm -hmm. i feel like behind the scenes they're giving each other back rubs and eating chocolates out of order no it's like (laughs) life is like a box of chocolates 
the one with seniority picks first. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I've never heard that story before, but I quite like it. Okay. Maybe somebody, I hope it's it's true. Somebody, somebody needs to correct me or I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I just, I just tried to Google it and it was just a bunch of, (laughs) it was a bunch of life is like a box of chocolates uh, articles from like LDS living. It did not, uh, it, it didn't pan out. Well, they probably scrubbed it. It's probably on BYU Idaho's page only. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll I'll make it my mission to find this story. Yes, that sounds. You, you're so in inca- You're so captivated yeah, by this. <laughs> that, it sounds very humanizing. I mean, I feel like if I, you know, if I felt like humans, maybe I might come back. Got it. <laughs> they ate chocolates. I don't know. I'm. Gonna, I think I'm going to go back for another uh, sacrament meeting. That's not the Kit Kat thing, right? It's different what, than the Kit Kat. What's the Kit Kat thing? We're like, how, how different apostles eat Kit Kats. There was a whole thing about this, like, I don't know, five years ago or something. It was a joke. You missed everything? Wow. It wasn't worth it. Okay. It was just like, yeah. All right. So we've got three more on this thing, but we've already talked about them. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're so good. So num- number three, just in summary, is the whole thing about missionary farewells that they're, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> The number two thing is what you wear on Sunday. It's got to be your Sunday best. The number one thing is the nickname thing, the Liz and Elizabeth and whatever. Jeez. All right. All right. I want to say one more thing about the Sunday best because you really are creating a culture there where people are going to spend more money than they have. Cause a lot of people don't have Sunday best. I yeah. served my mission in a country where people had one pair of one set of clothing. They had a shirt and a pair of pants. And they wore the same thing every day, including on Sundays. And they would look at something like this and think, I've got to have better clothes for Sunday. Yeah. And there were definitely people in the branch who were not eating so that they could save money to go visit the temple in Germany and were starving themselves and their children like at, at that level who would have read something like this and said, okay, we, we're not going to eat for this week so that we can buy a nicer shirt for somebody so that they have a Sunday set of clothes. Yeah. Th- this is how to create a Zoramite culture, you know, <laughs> or not. Was it the Zoramites that had the Rami Emptum? It was the Zoramites. Yeah. I think the Book yes. of Mormon. Zoramites. Yeah. They, they, they were dressed, you know, finely dressed and they would look down on the poor among them who couldn't afford to dress as nice as they did. And you've, you've got that story in the Book of Mormon and then you've got things like this that are actually creating that culture, which does exist. Mm-hmm absolutely exists well it's because he's not really thinking about i mean somehow by like being an apostle that travels all over the world and meets people from all over countries i i just think it didn't occur like he 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 was only looking at the byu student from upper middle class family that had access to more to better clothes it's people with a very specific socio like global socioeconomic status totally yeah but maybe that's, I mean, but, but it, this is a BYU talk also. So it's, you know, that context matters. Yeah. Do you think that he knew or expected this to go all around, be global? Or do you think he was like really talking to the audience to just of BYU students? Uh, he knows it's going to go, but what was this 1996? Yeah, 96. Oh, 96. October of 96. Yeah. Um, I I think that he thought that everything that he said was going to be 
picked up in the eternities at least i don't think so okay i don't think he gave it that much thought i don't think he really thought this through the whole the whole talk sounds like he was just riffing i don't think he thought through like what all the implications were this happened because um this happened because he was just like i you know many things you say like uh sunday best and then he looked at somebody he's like look at this motherfucker right here look at his little <laughs> yeah but his like little what, what we're what we're like button. arguing over is preparation versus ego and you're saying he didn't really prepare for it and i'm saying he had a massive ego yeah i'm also yeah i don't think those things are incongruous at all i don't either so you thought he was going to be picked up uh, no I, I i thought that that heather's question was do, do you think that that he was speaking to a larger audience than just the the BYU students in this. Did did he think that he was like as an apostle of God speaking to the entire world? And my answer to that was, yeah, I think so. But it's hard to see even anything in here that the um, authorities haven't said over the real pulpit, which is whatever they say in general conference, right? Because I remember going to a general conference in which women were told, to not dress too androgynously, you know, they need to be wearing <laughs> the implication me- being wear clothes that are skirts, you know, wear clothes that are pink. Don't, don't wear something that you could see a guy wearing, you know? So, so they have really concerned themselves with dress and that's fairly recently, you know, cause I've only been out of the church for a little while and it was toward the end of that where they're still kind of harping on, people's appearance and and i suspect that that even if you're right jake and he didn't put a ton of preparation into this he just kind of shot from the hip that afterwards he kind of went nailed it yeah you know that, he, that he still I is to, like he killed it in that audience I, I bet i bet the audience was very responsive and and thinking man the the spirit just works through me man the spirit <laughs> just works through me the, the message that the world needs always seems to come out of me when i open my mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah <laughs> i mean so, because he, because he, he follows the unwritten order of things right right yes and and he felt like uh, man i dropped some serious insider knowledge <laughs> this is like freaking life pro tips pro, this is what this everybody is needs to life pro tips this is what's holding people back and i'm like and i'm dropping some knowledge but i'm also saying that that even though he could feel that sense of i i i he, he could feel the the sense of having nailed it having had a really strong response from the audience and also not have done much preparation right. for it and not really mm-hmm. thought through what the implications were of like, absolutely. What, if, what, you know, what, what if, what if a like poverty stricken, poverty stricken Ukrainian listened to this? Like he didn't think about that. No. Right. He was just like, there was, there was a, a pleasant spirit about that meeting. And so I was able to talk about Sunday best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I did some research on that story I was quoting. Oh, it's kind of <laughs> relevant. All right. It's kind of relevant. Um, I, I, it almost deserves its own, like, mini-sode or something. I got to do more research on this. But basically, in 2004, L. Tom Perry gave some remarks at a state conference. A state conference being something that's not normally uh, recorded or official, right? But it's still, it's freaking L. Tom Perry. And he relates a story about how all of the different apostles um, have different personalities. And he says a lot of semi-controversial stuff just because he's shooting from the hip. And, and then one thing he says here is, each of us is wonderfully different, but as a combination, 
As a whole, we make a wonderful high council. We are certain to follow the order of the church in our meetings and in all we do. This has been clearly established. For example, I would never think of going through a door before Elder Packer. He is the president of our council. Wow. And later he says, every week the Cummings chocolate people send us a three-pound box of chocolates. In our meeting, we follow our order and President Packer picks first, then I choose, and so on. Poor Elder Eyring has never had a light chocolate yet. Perhaps if he lives long enough. <laughs> just making a joke. And then also, also interesting that then none of them like dark chocolate. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, they're clearly racist. So apparently this was from notes that somebody took because it wasn't recorded or official. But then a memo, uh, the CES administrative, something Bob, or rather. Bob, do you have anything running and, in the background on your computer? Like other programs uh, going? I don't think so. Why okay. am I breaking up? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, I'll try to close stuff. Um, I know I shouldn't bit mine while podcasting. Just kidding. I'm not bit mining. Um, anyway, so this uh, memo allegedly went out to CES educators saying, Please don't share this story because um, Elder Elton Perry was inaccurately attributed as to saying things that were taken out of context. And so, like, it, it sort of made it worse because... The cover-up. Yeah, but I don't know what's being covered up. But I'm not sure on the sourcing of all of this. So I, I kind of want to look into it a little bit more, but it just seems so, so Mormon to have an innocent story at a state conference be something that people pass around and then it ends up like a controversy that we know that they choose chocolates in a certain order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, since you looked up yours. Okay. What did you find? I looked up mine and it, apparently I didn't find it under Kit Kat, but I found it under Reese's peanut butter cup. And it's, it's like how or the top 10 ways, although there's 14, the top 10 ways general authorities eat a Reese's peanut butter cup. So number 14 is Bruce R. McConkie. Recently, uh, an unwise YouTube video has advocated we have a special relationship with the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. This is not the Lord's way. If we are to develop a special relationship with any candy, it should be a Butterfinger. Mormon humor. I don't get it at all. stupid. It's so, like, safe and, like, what the hell does that even mean? L. Tom Perry, a peanut butter cup is round, which means it has no corners. <laughs> Hey, attacking his accent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's, I'm just going to poach these. Uh, Dieter F. Uchtdorf. I turned the peanut butter cup to properly take a bite, and in doing so, I overcorrected. This resulted in me smearing chocolate on my upper lip. <laughs> <laughs> Had I been just good. one degree under what I calculated, I would have successfully enjoyed the Reese's without making a mess. Which brings me to a story about aviation. <laughs> All right. That was good. Uh, Paul H. Dunn. I remember, <laughs> I remember back in World War II that I ate Reese's peanut butter cup. Back then, they were big enough to live on for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Being the only soldier to have survived the battle in my brigade, I really didn't know if I could eat it or not. But I remember my fallen buddy's words as he died in my arms. Paul, if you just take one bite at a time, you can tackle anything. So I took that giant cup and breaking it up with the bat Babe Ruth gave me after I struck him out with two outs in the bottom of the ninth and the seventh game of the World Series, I proceeded to wolf down the tiny morsels. Okay. Paul H. Jim was a liar. 
<laughs> um, shall I, I should just send you guys the link and Bob let you do the Dallin H. Oaks one. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I uh, should have let Jake do the uh, Duderikdorf one. Maybe we could do that one again, Jake. You can do it for it again. Uh, sure. Did you just yeah. call him Duder Eekdorf? Duder Eekdorf. That's his new name. That, that was the new name he was given in the temple this day. Duder. I think that's like a nickname. Duder Eekdorf. actual Duder. real name. <laughs> yeah, that's what, Boyd, that's what Boyd used to call him, Duder. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just call him by one name. No. Duder. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, Coach Z from Strong Bad Duder Eekdorf <laughs> Richard G. Scott I miss him he always made just people feel guilty like no one else oh right. yeah I know Bob do the down you can come back number eight number okay let's see <clears throat> the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup challenges us to consume from the beginning there have been three steps in eating a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup First, remove the wrapper. <laughs> this is best done quickly by turning the cup over, grasping the outer fold, and pulling away <laughs> from the bottom. Second, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I, uh, I want to try Richard G. Scott, but I, it's hard right, to do him. Let's hear it. If you have not eaten a Reese's peanut butter cup, I plead with you. Eat one now. Enjoy the chocolate, the peanut butter. Do not delay. If you had thought, that's not for me, I plead with you to reconsider. Of all foods I treasure, this one was the first. That's almost that's pretty Thomas good. Monson. It's pretty good, yeah. yeah. No, I but, can picture but, him grasping the pulpit and looking into three different cameras. <laughs> at the same right. time just barely remembering what he's saying the thing the weird thing is like when i got the last few times that i saw him talk i realized that like i i looked right right at his eyes because i was like i'm just gonna watch his whole because before it would freak me out and i wouldn't want to look at him. but but like <laughs> i i would look i was like i'm not taking my eyes off this guy and i realized that like the way he was talking about it it, it, it actually his his insistence on looking in the camera really killed like it, it really limited like his body language during the talk and so he ended up just looking like he could just he was just barely remembering what he was saying while right. still able to keep his eyes still focused on the on the camera it was a weird it, it was a it, it was a weird gimmick to like really buy into i feel like it really kind of limited him i wonder if he made the conscious decision of like i'm gonna be the guy that always looks at the camera right and grasp the pulpit because he did have a yeah he did have quite the grip yeah grasp the pulpit and look right at the camera do they like pick their little flare like gimmick thing like i'm gonna be the guy that grasps the pulpit i'm gonna be the guy that almost cries all the time what they do is they have a list of gimmicks and they go yeah. in order from the highest. <laughs> seniority picks. Yeah, seniority picks the gimmick. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh, oh, I yeah, came back well, and decided to talk like this. Is this oh, other reason? Yeah, well, we well Spencer we W. Kimball got that one first. We, we got to do four through one there and, and Glenn's got to read Boyd. Right? Well, I, 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 want, I want to go back to 11 and have Jake do Duder Eekdorf. <laughs> all right i'm gonna do my best it's really just a well whatever i'm not i'm not gonna over you do it, it. i'm not gonna you do it good 
I turn the beat of the peanut butter cup to properly take a bite, and in so doing, I overcorrected. This resulted in me smearing chocolate on my upper lip. Had I been just one degree under what I had calculated, I would be successfully enjoying the Reese's without making a mess. Which brings me to a story about aviation. <laughs> All right. Nice. Pretty good. I mean, I, I feel like that's, uh, this is the, your mom makes you sing the song. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. My mom would do that to me too. Yeah. Do, yeah. do this. Do this. Yeah. Sorry. All right. That's but now funny. do this, Glenn. Read Which one? Wood K. Packer in the voice. <clears throat> I haven't done Packer in a long time. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> in all my years, <laughs> I have always eaten my Reese's peanut butter cups the same way, the established way that we have been instructed to eat them. <laughs> there is a far greater evil in this world, though those who believe they can eat their cups in a way unconventional to the time-honored manner. We must be true and faithful and eat our Reese's peanut butter cups in the customary and recognized approach as it has heretofore been established. Thank you. It was great. I want to try right. Maxwell. Oh, I wanted okay. Heather to try Maxwell. Oh, do you know Heather gets to play? I, Heather gets I, to can't, play? I, I don't remember Maxwell's voice at all. I mean, okay. the joke is obvious. I intentionally initiate the delicious design of the deglutination of a Reese's peanut butter cup by nibbling a negotiable nit of the culinary creamy cavalcade. It is ex exclusively through small entities that the great things are fabricated. Yeah. Nice. But you just have to do more of the initially initiate delicious design. Of the oh, see, I don't remember yeah. Maxwell's voice either. Yeah, no, no. Oh, yeah, I totally am forgetting that. Living on Yeah, he just had yeah, the whole like good. yeah, he did he did grandfatherly thing. Yeah, exclusively through small entities. Um, Glenn, are you going to do Monson? You should do Monson. I, I remember, I ate my first Reese's peanut butter cup when I was a tender lad of eight. My mother came to me, and with a loving twinkle in her eye, asked, "Tommy." Are you eating a recess? And I would invariably smile up to her. Yes. Yes, I am. But Tommy, did you know that Sister Jensen next door hasn't eaten a Reese's cup in years? My young mind thought upon the plight of my neighbor. Tears were shed. Hearts were gladdened. A cup was shared. Uh, you're never gonna get. You're never gonna lose that. No, but but the, but he's dead. right into it. It's a, it's I yeah. I mean, I can't do Nelson. Uh, Nelson the closest just, I can get to Nelson is the Gopher from Winnie the Pooh. I can't do my S's like. Suffer and Shukatash. Suffer and Shukatash. Suffer and Yeah, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's. Is he doing S's like that? Yes. I need to listen to. Him. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed it when when I when I went to the priesthood session to conference this last April, and I was sitting there with my buddy, and I turned to him and I'm like, "Does this sound like Gopher to you?" <laughs> Hopefully, he remembers that every time now he hears Elder Nelson speak. But yes, yeah. so I feel like we just did a conference episode. Mm -hmm. I feel like so we don't enough. need to do one. 
Oh, we still need to do one. <laughs> it's in the can. <laughs> it was a teaser. Yeah. It's really great to hear the Boyd K. Packer voice again. It just slays me. I love it. Really? <laughs> it's just so lazy. It. It's like, it, it, and it's not even like a good Boyd K. Packer from when he was young and robust and, you know, like giving this unwritten order of things talk. It's, it's the job of the hut. <laughs> like the last few years where they just like wheeled him up there and i think i said i was here and i gotta say something and, and he couldn't read the teleprompter yeah scrambling it's like it was crazy takes a breath in the middle of a word yeah it's just it's just good oh it's just disgusting it's just, i loved it when you you would just like slur his words and accidentally say words like feces <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that one. Maybe crack up. Jake, every you've time. done you've done Joseph B. Worthland before, haven't you? Yeah, we declare to the world. <laughs> that's, he's number seven. <laughs> Men no, that's Worthland. Yes, I, I. Is that that's no Perry? Perry's the one that I did. Oh, is it El Tom? Yeah, El Tom Perry is the one that I. Like, I, uh, I, 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 I. That's the one I was most proud of. Wasn't wasn't Joseph B. Worthland the the penis one that the like the penis and the vagina and uh, what lesbians do? I don't even know. Rich, that was El Tom. Yeah, okay. that was El Tom. Baffles me. Baffles no end. <laughs> baffles, baffles me to no end. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, those were the days. Those were those were golden. Days. All right, the guys. Wait, what are we doing again? I need to head to bed. Okay. Good night. Makes sense. It's probably need, a good idea. I hate to feel like I'm missing out, but we I can all go. Okay. I want. So it seems like most of the it, it's it that this this talk was just a bunch of gripes and pet peeves mm-hmm. that essentially said that like people don't take the church and especially me seriously enough. All right. Is that, I mean, is that, is, is, is that the sense everybody else got from this? I can yeah, and we don't. I thought, I he, thought he's right. he was trying to say, in some congregations, church is too fun. And if we could just <laughs> suck all of the fun and life out of all meetings, especially funerals and missionary farewells, yeah. then the Lord would be pleased. Yeah, yeah. that'd be ideal. It's true. Yeah, the, the, the natural man is an enemy to God, and the natural man is all about fun. He is it's like this is very it's a very bleak version of life. Like I, I just was thinking about like would anybody want to go like would anybody want to go to Thanksgiving with Boyd K. Packer? You know, like these these there's like the people that are the most iconic in Mormonism in modern Mormonism are people that like I would never want to spend like unstructured time with, you know? I don't know. <laughs> it it doesn't seem like the thing is the weird thing is that there's a lot of people that like, I think it would be fun to spend time with Joseph Smith. I think that that would be like, he's, he seemed like a really interesting person, but these people do not seem, I don't, I like it. it it's, it's this, this type of personality. And you'd like to, you, you, to get to I you'd like to trip I, with Joseph Smith. Like get the, I, give me some of those mushrooms, Joe. I can yeah. hear every TBM saying, "Gordon B. Hinckley, Gordon B. Hinckley." We had a funny one. We had a we had a lively one. We had a live one on our hands for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was fun. that was a smokescreen, man. Yeah, he he so. was a, 
Yeah. He, he had a good image. He, he had some good PR going on there, but he believed all the same shit. Yeah. I mean, like if you yeah, hear him talk about those same so-called same sex arrangements or, you know, he, he, yeah. uh, he, alternative lifestyles. Right. He wasn't that progressive. He just like came across as the new David O. McKay, but I don't know. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of progressive people that I think are fucking huge bummers and I wouldn't want to spend. <laughs> they're not fun at all. Like, well, at least they're not <laughs> pretending that they're progressive usually. <laughs> um, but like he, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley. Yeah. I, I, I go to lunch with Gordon B. Hinckley. I would sure. not go to lunch with, with Boyd K. Packer. He seems like an incredible, uh, just, just a bummer. Oh, I'd love to yeah, go to lunch with Boyd K. Packer. <laughs> or or, or even do? like, what would, like what would it be like? Like why? Because you could shock and awe him. You could... No, no, I would just listen. I would just ask him questions and just really? listen and just kind of like, just, yeah, no, it'd be, it'd be kind of, yeah. I, I, I think that would be interesting. And Bednar, man. Oh, like that would be kind of a fun lunch to go with. Like Bednar to me is the biggest stick in the mud of all of them. See, uh, I don't think he I, don't would I think that people like that would see through the fact that you don't respect them and uh, would respond by shutting down. Not talking to you. I, I'm, I'm a wonderful person to have lunch with, Jake. I don't know what this <laughs> I, is coming I, from. I, I, I would love to have lunch with you. I, 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 would, I would be yeah. very genuinely, sincerely interested in hearing what they had to say. I would. Yeah, but I, they don't seem like people that are like, oh, let's have a conversation. These are people like, let me drop some knowledge on you because you believe that I am good. A, I need knowledge. Drop the knowledge on me. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, but but they would they could tell that you don't really believe that they're God's messenger. Like they only say like they only want to talk say things to people that they know are going why to are you ruining my fantasy of having a lunch with boyd k packer i don't understand i would i that. want to watch i want to have lunch with you having lunch with boyd k packer you could be <laughs> at a ta- you could be at a table like you're looking at the menu pretending right to look at the menu but you're right really watching exactly. us. yeah yes yeah <laughs> that's exactly that's where i want to have lunch I want Glenn to be himself with a lunch with Boyd K. Packer, and then I get to be the TBM whisperer. Be like, uh, Elder Packer, what he's trying to say is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk about, like, the King Fall at Discourse, or, you know, like... Oh, he wouldn't want to engage on that. He'd be like, talk maybe. to your stake president. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Stake president. It, it, was, it was a funeral. It was Joseph Smith <laughs> speaking at a funeral to a bunch of people who were really receptive... We got the name of the podcast from it. The original funeral right there. <laughs> we Boy, can just off, all really model our funeral. Oh, okay, I'll restart it. Or we can just end. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating. And write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Hey, just one more thing, infant listeners. Maybe you've already heard. Maybe this is going to be new to you. But in addition to Infants on Thrones, I have started a new podcast that I am calling Mythologi. And it's short myths that I read. Like, remember when I did the chunky infant ghost stories crazy thing last October? It's kind of like that, but it's... It's more legit. So I am going to put episode one 
uh, which is a story called Old Lady Truth, which I particularly like as an Easter egg for you here, and would very much encourage you to come and check out Mythologi, uh, like the Facebook page. Um, you'll get notifications when I publish new episodes. There's four up right now, and I'm working on the fifth one. Uh, I do have an iTunes page. I would love the iTunes five-star reviews. And I'm also, I've also got a Patreon page for Mythologi with some really cool bonus features uh, for people who come and support that. Uh, so anyway, Mythologi. If you're interested, check it out. If not, you don't have to listen anymore. Not at all. You don't have to. No one's forcing you. Once upon a podcast. Once upon a time. In a time before time. time This is the Mythologi Podcast. Modern retellings of ancient myth. I am your Mythologi. Today's episode, Old Lady Truth. There was once a wealthy man who was the envy of every man around him. He was tall. He was strong. He was talented. He was successful at every single thing he tried. He had a beautiful wife, a loving family, the best group of friends that anyone could hope for, and an occupation that made him rich and famous. Life was perfect for this man, except for one thing. He was terribly unhappy. What is wrong? His wife would often ask him. I want to know the truth, he would reply. Well, then you should go and seek her, she replied back. So the man decided to do just that. He placed his house and all of his worldly possessions in his wife's name. She was quite insistent on this point. And he set out into the world, renouncing all, a beggar on the road towards truth. He first traveled to a nearby town and greeted the first man that he saw, a wise old fisherman returning from a long, hard day of work. Hello, he said. I am on a quest for truth. Can you point me in her general direction? The fisherman looked at him for a very long time. Those are a fine pair of shoes you're wearing. I wish I had a pair as fine as those. The wealthy man removed the shoes from his feet and handed them to the fisher. They're yours. Now please, can you point me towards truth? Truth is an old woman living in a cave, said the wise old fisher. I could tell you how to get there, but if I were you, I wouldn't start from here. And with that, the fisher took his leave. The man continued to the next town, where he came across a young girl gathering flowers in a field. Hello, the man said. I am on a quest for truth. I have learned that she is an old woman in a cave. Do you know where I can find her? 
The girl looked at him for a very long time. That is a fine cloak you are wearing. It must keep you very warm in the winter. The man removed his cloak and handed it to the girl. It is yours. Now please, can you point me towards truth? I have never seen her myself, said the girl. But I have heard talk of an old woman living in a cave just beyond the forest. And with that, the girl took her leave. The man next turned his sights towards the forest. Cold and barefoot he wandered, lost. Lost for many days, until at last he came upon a fierce gray wolf. Hello, said the man. I am on a quest for truth. I have learned that she is an old woman in a cave, living somewhere in this forest. Do you know where I can find her? The wolf looked at him for a very long time. Those are very strong, meaty arms that you have, said the wolf. A single arm like that could sustain me through the entire winter. The man rolled up his sleeve and held out his right arm. It is yours, said the man. The wolf devoured it on the spot, bones and all. Now please, can you point me towards truth? I am truth, called out an old woman from behind him. Come, join me, you foolish man, before this beast devours the rest of you. Old Lady Truth took this man to her cave and drew up a warm fire. In the flickering light of its flames, he saw that Old Lady Truth was a wizened old woman with drooping gray eyes, sad but kind. When she smiled, he could just make out a single yellow tooth. That's gross. I love it. Her gray, thinning hair matted in a tangled mash behind her head where bugs and worms and creatures of every kind used it gratefully as a nest. The skin on her face was nearly translucent, stretched perilously thin across her sharp, prominent bones. But when she spoke, her voice was lyrical and pure. It pierced to the very center of his heart, and he knew at last he was finally hearing the voice of truth. And for the first time in his life, he felt truly happy. He stayed with Old Lady Truth for a year and a day as she nursed him back to full health. She shared with him everything that she had learned throughout her life, everything that she knew of the heavens, everything she knew of the earth, everything she knew of the eternally connected hearts and minds of every creature living therein. And when a year and a day was up, The man stood and embraced her as he took his leave. My dear Lady Truth, he said to her, you have been so generous and so kind. You have taught me so much and brought tranquility of purpose to my life. You have done so much for me. Is there anything at all that I can do for you to repay you? Old Lady Truth looked at him for a very long time. There is something you can do for me, she finally replied. When you return to your life and speak to others of this time that you have spent with me, she said, 
Tell them that I am young and beautiful. Hello, I'm Glenn Ostland, the man behind the Mythologi podcast. And I don't remember the first time that I heard this myth, but I've always just loved it. Old Lady Truth, she just wants people to think that she's pretty. Truth wants you to think that it's something other than what it is. How deliciously ironic. And how true that is to our own human experience. But that's what myth does for us, isn't it? It explores human truths through story, fiction, metaphor, and that's what I will be doing with this podcast. Now, I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster, and I have a master's degree and a PhD, ABD, in folklore from Indiana University. I've heard a lot of myths throughout my life, a lot of legends, a lot of folk tales from all over the world. I love telling these stories and exploring what they mean. Now, if you like this podcast and you want to see it continue, please give Mythologi a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. And if you want to hear more discussion and analysis behind these stories, come support me on Patreon and get access to exclusive content not available to the general public. I'm Glenn Osland, and I am your Mythologi. Until next time, keep your truth in the air and your tooth in your head. I love it. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.